0: Welcome to Real Issues, Real Talk, for students by students, a collaboration between the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands, as well as the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center. We are peer educators, and we have come together to leverage technology, to engage our campuses in conversations that empower students to be proactive and examine important health issues. We are encouraging all students to be curious about health and wellness, so we can use our critical thinking skills to replace misinformation or a lack of information with impactful strategies to become more informed, more open-minded, and more involved in taking charge of our health. Our main goal for these podcasts is for listeners to not only use the important information for their own benefit, but to share the information with one, two, or more students so that real information is accessible to everyone. There are many tough topics out there that need our attention, and we hope listeners get curious with us so we can all make a difference together.
1: Hello, my name is Rachel Thinsky, and I'm the Outreach Librarian for the Biomedical Library at the University of South Alabama. Welcome to our podcast on the stigma of food insecurity. Today, I am joined with my colleague, Debbie Cistero Sefer, is from the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education Training Center, and our guest speakers, Ms. Ronnie Langston and Ms. Shelley Brin, who will be talking with our peer educators from the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands on the important topic of the stigma of food insecurity among college and university students. I will first begin by introducing Ronnie Langston, who is the assistant manager of South Cares, which is the University of South Alabama's collaborative access resources and emergency support program. When a student has a need, such as a distinct emergency that has caused a financial issue or is experiencing a food insecurity, Ronnie and her team meet with the student to assess the situation and provide resources and assistance. Ronnie believes the best way to help students is to be alongside with them, with empathy and practicality. She is also involved with the JAG Pantry and other programs at South Alabama that aid students who are facing food insecurities. I'm looking forward to hearing more about these programs in our podcast today. So welcome, Ronnie, and thank you for being with us.
2: Hi, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Now, Debbie will introduce our guest from the Virgin Islands.
3: Thank you, Rachel. Hello, everyone. I have the great pleasure today to introduce to you Shelly Brin, who is owner of Kaysera Farms on St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. As a response to the pandemic shutdowns of 2020, her farm started the St. Thomas Online Farmers Market that collaborated with about 10-plus farms, and backyard producers to supply the St. Thomas community. This farm hosts small, intimate farm tours for groups and advocates for local food security throughout the islands. On their farm, they raise about 100 chickens, have several beehives, a small microgreen operation, and are hired around the islands for removing hives from residences and businesses. The majority of their farm daily operations are focused on composting and soil regeneration practices. What a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for joining us, Shelly. Thank you, it's such a pleasure to be part of this group. I'm excited to talk about it with you all. Thank you so much. And boy, do we have a group of students that are ready to talk with you about this. This These are real issues and real talk. I'm going to introduce you now to Connor from the University of South Alabama, who is going to introduce everyone. And I'm gonna pull back with Rachel and we're gonna let you all have some fun together.
4: Awesome. Hello everyone. And welcome back to Real Issues, Real Talk. For students, by students. A one of a kind collaborative podcast between the University of South Alabama and the University of the Virgin Islands. And I just have to say, oh my God, I can't believe we made it to the final episode of season one, y'all. Thank you so much to all of our listeners who have stuck around to episode three, who have bared through our very first rocky episode, listened for our redemption in episode two, and are finally here for our incredible finale with two amazing guest speakers for episode three. I am so, 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 so excited for today's episode. As you all know by now, my name is Connor Thotel. I'm a student here at the University of South Alabama, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, AJ, And we are joined by our friends in the beautiful United States Virgin Islands.
5: Jamori Sargent.
6: And Deborah Smith.
4: And oh boy, do we have a podcast for you guys today. Now I know Debbie did an incredible job at introducing our two speakers and Rachel for introducing our speaker from the University of South Alabama, but I want to go ahead and give them an opportunity to introduce themselves. So let's go ahead and start with Ronnie Langston.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Ronnie Langston, and I work for South Cares here at the University of South Alabama. And one of the things that South Cares oversees is the JAG Pantry, which is one of our resources for students who are experiencing food insecurity on our campus, um, which several articles have actually called the silent epidemic among college students is food insecurity. So I'm really excited to be here um, to talk about this and to answer any questions that you guys might have.
4: Awesome. Thank you so much, Ronnie, for taking the time out of your day to be here. We can't wait to talk with you. Shelly?
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me.
6: So I'm Shelly with Quezada Farms. Um, I'm a multi-generational uh, farmer slash fisherwoman descendant uh, from our <laughs> island. <laughs> and uh, I have my bachelor's in tourism and I studied in uh, the States, graduated from New York, and found myself in agriculture which has been uh, the root of so many parts of our, um, the way our societies function today. So it's been pretty exciting to get into agriculture. There's a lot of pros and cons, a lot of highs and lows, um, and all of it is incredibly relevant to everything that's happening today and to our future.
4: Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much for being here. And I can't wait to dive into a few of those things with you, if you don't mind talking about them. But to actually get our episode started off, um, our friends over at UVI are going to kick us off.
5: All right. While I was researching food insecurity, because it was a topic that I was not well educated on, I came across the information that it is not the same idea as hunger, but they are connected. Can anybody like help explain that connection to me?
2: So I would actually love to talk about that a little bit. So food insecurity is actually kind of defined as not having um, access to healthy, nutritious food. It's not just being hungry. It's, it's not having the ability to eat the foods that will give your body the energy that you need to go about your daily task or the nutrition that your brain needs to process information. Mm-hmm. Um, there are quite a few studies that talk about how students who don't eat nutritious food, who eat junk food or unhealthy foods, Those students have a lower GPA, they tend to drop out of school, Um, retention rates are lower and so therefore graduation rates are lower. So food insecurity is really about people, not just students, but people in general who do not have access to food that will nourish their body. It's more than just hunger, it's actually nourishing your body, including your brain.
4: Wait, Ronnie, so you're telling me college students aren't supposed to live off of the like ramen meal diet? (laughs) no, that could actually like do horrible things for a GPA.
2: It can actually do horrible things for your GPA. So for those of you who love ramen noodles, I'm not saying you can't ever have them, of course, but studies have shown that students actually need fruits and vegetables. Yes, those green and orange things your mom told you to eat are actually good for you. They're great for your GPA. They're good for your studies. They're good for retaining information. So if you want to be a good student, If you want to learn and retain knowledge, if you want to have the ability to stay in school and graduate and go on to a successful life, whatever that is for you, um, you actually need to eat healthy, nutritious foods in order to give your your body and your brain that energy and that nourishment. So no diet of ramen noodles.
6: (laughs) (laughs) And then also to, to also comment on that, part of what that means it, to eat nutrient fu- food that has nutrition. If you aren't eating food that has nutrition, that means that you could keep eating and you don't feel full. Mm-hmm. That could also mean mm-hmm. that you could be overeating and you're still not getting the nutrients that you need. And why are we eating in the first place is yeah. because your body needs nutrients. It needs minerals and vitamins in order to keep functioning. Mm-hmm. And to also add on the point of um, nutrient food We are alive, living beings. Like we're not, we're not concrete. We're not rock. Um, We are a living element. And in order for this living element to function, it needs to consume things that are alive, things that have nutrients in them. So when you eat food that's, uh, that's processed, for example, it means that you're decreasing in your function. So you could You could get by eating processed food, maybe into your 20s. But by the time you reach your late 20s, your body is eventually going to give out. And what happens is when you're not getting the nutrients for your food, it means you start to get sick. You start to actually get diseases and you become more prone and more susceptible when you catch a cold for it to really take you down. So that also means that it lowers your immune system. And this in this day and age here in the Virgin Islands, we don't have health insurance um, in the private sector. So we actually can't really afford to get sick like that. So Mm. your first line of defense against sickness and disease is to eat food that's alive. And the other reason why you want to eat food that's alive is because it feeds your gut and your gut is very much tied to your overall health. Your gut is called the second brain. It actually gives off sometimes more um, more hormones and uh, signals to your brain to function uh, than your brain does. And so what will end up happening is if you're not eating food that's giving your gut good live um, stuff to work off of, your gut begins to make you sick. And then you start to lose brain function because Mm -hmm. now you're more susceptible to depression, to anxiety. You can't focus in your class and you notice yourself starting to, to get a, uh, just really stuck in your phone because you can't really focus on other stuff, all of that is tied to what you're eating. And so you could be eating food, but not really be eating food.
4: Now, so. Shelly, I know this might be a little off topic. And, you know, you can throw this question out if you want. But yeah. so in my microbiology class, we're always talking about the health of the human gut microbiome and how mm-hmm. it plays such an integral part in all your other bodily functions. Mm-hmm. Are you a believer in like the health of your gut microbiome really determines your overall health?
6: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've seen it. Uh, my own personal experience with my own health, with, with just getting more live foods, eating more probiotics, mm-hmm. um, especially for uh, just the function of your endocrine system with hormones and stuff like that, male and female. Uh, yeah, I've definitely noticed the difference in my health um yeah it's it's important it's important
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah through and through now before we dive a little further I, this podcast is surrounding the stigma of food insecurity so I want to poise both of you the question and feel free to answer it any way you want UVI feel free to jump in let us know what you think about it do you think there is a stigma surrounding food insecurity on college campuses
2: Well, I guess I'll jump in on that. So yes, there is absolutely a stigma um, on college campuses when it comes to food insecurity. So in talking to students, what we found is that no one really wants to be seen as poor and hungry. They don't want to be seen as someone who needs food. Not exactly sure why that is. Um, Other than students just, they want to be normal. They want to, you know, especially at the age a lot of college students are. They just wanna look like everyone else and blend in and they don't wanna be seen as someone who is outside of societal norm that, that needs food. Because food is a basic right, right? So everyone should have access to healthy food, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I think that, you know, that's one of the things that we see the most is that students just don't want to appear as less than and needing, and needing food and being poor. They, they just don't want to be seen as that. So there's definitely that stigma when it comes to food insecurity on campus.
6: Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've learned over the years, just being in the food world uh, and part of just a lot of conversations about sustainability and food is that there's, there's a difference between food insecurity and food scarcity. And where a lot of our um, feelings of, of stigmas um, can be rooted in is it's not so much that there isn't food, it's, this, it's that it's not being distributed evenly in our society. There's a concept called uh, food deserts. I'm sure you guys would have heard of it by now. It's that it's this concept that we could we could live in urban or rural settings and be in food deserts. So it's it's if you've never heard of a food desert, it's basically if you don't have access to fresh food food within a one mile radius of where you live that you can access, it's you're considered living in a food desert. And so um, one thing that happens in our food system is that you got to understand that part of it, you should not feel shame about it because it's not your fault. This is a system that was designed off of profits versus for actual people. And I read this incredible book that changed my world <laughs> and I recommend <laughs> it. It was a cookbook. It was a cookbook and it changed my world.
7: Oh my it was, gosh. Called,
6: um, it was called Decolonizing Your Diet. And the concept is that we have a food system that has morphed its function. Uh, we've moved away from, in these multi-generational communities like ours where it did literally take a village to feed a village. You know, you had, you had village food that needed to have been processed by groups of people in a whole, uh, versus foods that were, you know, you could prepare yourself, um, bread, uh, (laughs) just saying. Um, and then we've moved into a system where our food system is industrialized. You've put it in different sections. You've now separated and isolated people from having shared functions around making food so that we can all function as as a society because we need everybody to not just be farmers we need everybody to have different roles so we've moved away from a system where we have our food system intact that can feed us all so where now each individual is responsible for their own food it's not some, something to be ashamed of if you just if you get into a place where you've just lost your ability to get the food You just got to learn your techniques on how to tap into it that's around you and our our communities do still have access to food even when you are in a situation where you're hungry and you don't have the money for it
7: so ronnie can you tell us a little bit about um the statistics on food insecurities on college campuses
2: so there's a study that was done by the hope center of college and they said that 38 percent of students at two-year colleges Experienced food insecurity where it was 29% of students at four-year universities. So I think the number's actually probably a little bit higher because again, there are students who are ashamed to admit that they need food, so they won't admit it. And so they're left out of these statistics. Um, but I decided just to kind of look at South and see what that would look like. So for the fall of 2020, we had 9,100 undergraduate students which if we follow statistics, which again, I believe are higher, that meant that we had 2,639 students experiencing food insecurity. And these are undergraduates. So if we look at the graduates, we had um, 5,174 graduate students. Again, following the statistics, that would be 1,500 grad students. So, you know, that is 4,000 students experiencing food insecurity on our campus alone. And that's those that would admit it. And so if you look at who the food insecure are, you know, um, there is actually a tie-in with racial minorities. Um, There's a tie-in with those who receive the Pell Grant. And so it's typically those who come from a lower socioeconomic um, system, if you will. But I don't know that I think that's necessarily true. I think that maybe those that... um, maybe are more economically better off, I I think that those are the ones too who also would be ashamed to admit that they need food. Um, There used to be a sign, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but there used to be a sign that said, it showed a picture of a woman next to a car and it said, she has a job and she's homeless. Well, you can have a job and still not have access to food. We have a lot of students who work very hard and by the time they provide for all of their needs, food... Food is one of the last things that they provide themselves with. They'll, they'll take care of their classes and their books and, and the things that they need. And yes, they may buy that bag of chips or those ramen noodles who are incredibly inexpensive, but they don't have the resources or the funds to buy nutritious foods. And for whatever reason, it does cost more to eat healthier. It really does. So that impacts a lot of our student body.
7: So am I safe in assuming that food insecurities and homelessness aren't directly correlated?
4: Or, and let me pose it this way, do you think that as a society we've almost made it to a point where it's like put your home above your food, your education above your food, and put like the type of food that you can afford and what you buy on the back burner?
2: Yes, I can definitely see that. So what you look like outwardly. Do you have on the right watch? Do you have on the right earrings? Do you have on the right rings? Do you have on the right clothes? Do you live in the right dorm? Or do you live in the right section of town? Do you drive Mm. the right car? Do you have this and this and this? And so I think that what you present to society sometimes, yes, can be more important to you than what you actually put into your body. So what you put on is more important than what you put in to to nourish yourself. Yes.
4: Now. AJ and, you know, Debbie and Jamori, I kind of want to ask you guys this, do you see food insecurity on campus? I do. Um, What does that look like for you guys down there? Because I feel like I, before I started working on projects like the Jake Pantry and stuff, I never really noticed food insecurity in students. Like everyone was just walking around. We were going to class, my friend group, we could go out for coffee or grab food. It was never really a problem. I'm sure I know people that are food insecure,
5: but it was never brought up. Uh, in the Virgin Islands, well, is like, we, our main source of food is, is the cafeteria. But like, if the cafeteria doesn't have st- stuff we want to eat, or if the cafeteria is already closed by time, we're ready to go for food, we will have to order food because where the university is, it doesn't have any restaurants close by. and
0: Because well, of the location.
5: Yeah. And according to the committee on world food security, I read that the four pillars, four pillars of food security are availability, access, utilization and stability in the Virgin Islands. I think the problem is the availability and the access to food, because if the restaurants don't deliver, we won't eat. So then it's like then we have to resort to vending machines. So that's a lot of potato chips. That's a lot of like sweets that we have to rely on for.
4: I don't know if you'd agree, AJ, I'd say we're definitely probably a little bit more fortunate here just being in like a bigger city. There's things around, but oftentimes the restaurants that are around us are pretty expensive. So if you're already facing a financial hardship, it would be hard for you to go afford food off campus if you can't get access to what's here.
7: Yeah, definitely. If you take a look around us right now, it's primarily fast food. You know, you don't really see places that are very nutritious. You know, Right. So I think that's a great statement. You
5: know and mm-hmm. i think what a good move would be for the universities because i can see like it has vending machines on campus mm-hmm. so yeah. if you're hungry you go to the vending machine but what they should start doing they should start putting like nutritional With options
7: nutrition
6: foods.
5: Yes. In, in oh the- my god have
4: you all yeah, seen the exactly. salad
5: vending machines they have
4: at like the washington airport they
6: have salad
4: machines? yes yeah. i like i kid you all not this is like a thing i saw it on TikTok. so you know um, who knows if it was okay. real or not right yeah. everyone's like oh TikTok, whatever but they have these, apparently, I'll throw that out there. I haven't seen them in person yet. They have these vending machines where you can go up and like build your own salad or build your own grain bowl. So it's like a healthy, nutritious food option for people that are stuck in the airport at like 2 a.m. when everything else is closed. Wow. Yeah.
6: Well, let me just put out there. Um, I was part of the starting the farm to school program in St. Croix, which mm-hmm. is a farm to institution program, federally funded. And the way that we were even able to make it happen in St. Croix uh, was it took the demand to increase before they allowed the supply to kick in. So what that took was a school organized. It started with ag fair was Mm -hmm. when these kids at a school uh, asked their teacher uh, who was in charge of spearheading what's going to be that school's display for ag fair that year. Um, they wanted to do a project on the farm to school program happening in the States, and uh, they did it. And then in the end, they're like, well, why don't we have this here? Why can't we have farm to school here in the Virgin Islands? And so that school, that class initiated conversations with Department of Education, uh, with the governor's office, with the senators, and uh, with um, just as many people whose air they could get into. And it, it, was just a, it was just a class group. Um, I can't even remember what grade they were. I want to say it was like seventh grade or eighth grade. Um, and it was uh, the teacher at the time was Summer, Summer Sibley Brown. And uh, they pushed and pushed. And then um, they couldn't get anything to happen. So then they started to reach out to farms. And then they went to the individual farms to say, hey, would you do the farm to school program? Because you got to go through the whole bidding process. You got to become a government contractor. Um, And our farm in St. Croix, the one that I was working at at the time, was the, I think we were the last ones that they asked. And we were like, yes, this is worth doing. We're going to go down this hole with you, this rabbit hole with you. Uh, And we did it. And then us, the farm, started to meet with the senators, Department of Education, the governor's office, like everybody that we could meet with them. We, We did the paperwork process. It happened. And now the Virgin Islands has a farm to school program that now also covers St. Thomas because of this one class and this one middle school in St. Croix. So if you are struggling at your university to get fresh food, believe it or not, it's going to happen if you ask for it.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. And it's even more incredible that that's student driven. Um, mm-hmm. Wow, I'm honestly blown away.
6: And I'll just add to it too. I mean, the farms are, are pretty approachable. I mean, we're yeah. we're naturally filling. Philanthropists, honestly, right. So
4: y'all you know, are like very and open and receptive <laughs> to this idea.
6: Yeah, and so even here in the in the Virgin Islands, so, you know, I just want to put out there, Jamori and Deborah, if you guys approach the university and say, "Hey, listen, we want you guys to source, do more procurement from some local farms," what'll happen is they'll say, "Probably, eh, you know, we'll think about it," but push them, push them, and then eventually they're going to be like, "All right, well, let's start to put into our budget." to actually buy from local farms. And then they're going to come up with the excuse that there's nobody producing on island. And then you could tell them my name and I could give you a couple other farms name. We all produce then. As a matter of fact, we just having trouble finding people to buy our produce.
5: <laughs> okay. Because I feel like it's unfair to the university students because given our location is like, if you don't go shopping, you're not gonna eat if it's not from the cafeteria. And then the options yeah. you're giving us to eat is unhealthy. I feel we just need some better not options.
6: everybody can be able to access the cafeteria on their own time.
5: Yeah, because people have- work jobs, part-time jobs and go to college, so they can't meet like the time frames that the cafe's open.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's true. Um, you know, I wanna put out there too, another option to think about uh, for, I mean, any university student really is yes, the cafeteria, is a a really good option for food. Uh, Sometimes the only option, Um, but there's also a challenge where a lot of us don't cook. (laughs) And so even if we wanted to eat more fresh stuff, um, some of us just aren't good at it. And then some of us, uh, we might be good at it, but we don't have a kitchen. Uh, There's another option that is very community oriented. And I just want to remind you guys, this exists in your communities. You do have good cooks that will cook for you if you bring them the ingredients.
5: That is true.
6: If you you find some red fruit, your auntie might very well make some for you and for your other classmates.
7: True. Can you give us some insight into what the JAG pantry is and how it works?
2: Sure. So on our campus, we have something called the JAG pantry, which is a food pantry that is open and available to any student on our campus or within driving distance that wants to use it. And um, our JAG pantry was actually started by a medical student. Uh, she started a food pantry at another college, and then when she came to South for medical school, she started ours. So one student, one student who started it and has impacted so many. Uh, we have a, a group called Donor to Diners that um, they're medical students as well that really help us with volunteers and, and getting um, just food into our pantry and stacking it and stocking it and 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 taking care of all of that. And So right now, what we're doing is we're moving that JAG pantry from one location to a new location, a much larger location. And we've purchased a refrigerator so that we can also offer fresh produce, fruits and vegetables, um, dairy products for those who want that, um, just perishable items. And all of ours are donated. So far, we have not had to pay for anything um, as far as the food. The food is donated. And I don't know how that would work in the Virgin Islands, but I mean, just as ours is student-led. I kind of heard Connor use our tagline um, when he he started talking at the beginning of the podcast. We we say it's for students by students. It is student-led. This is a student-led pantry for students. You just have to have somebody in the background like me who makes sure that everything, you know, flows and is organized and is inventory is taken care of and... uh, but it is—it's a great resource. Um, what I'm stunned about is I, I found out that there are people who still don't know about this pantry, and so what we're trying to do is—is is have campaigns. You know, we have food drives and campaigns um, to to increase awareness about our Jag Pantry on campus, so that students can tell students about it. But also, you know, if a student is walking by one of our buildings and they see a box out there and it's for the Jag Pantry, then they realize we have a food pantry and. And uh, if they look at the website, then they can pull it up and there's the information that they would need. So this is just, it's such a fabulous resource for our students. And I'm really glad it's something that we can offer, but but it is student run. So it might be something that you guys could start at your university, um, possibly.
4: You know, not to brag about South for a little bit, but I will say it's one of the most impressive things I believe our student body has done. I agree. And it's amazing that it was created by students, it's led by mm-hmm. students, it's still operated by students. The majority of the donations come from students in local organizations and students are the ones that coordinate the affiliation with the local organizations. It just blows me away. And, you know, I would love to see something like that implemented in UVI. And it sounds like you guys have done a similar program with your like farm to table um, initiative for the schools.
5: And, you know,
4: I'd love to see something similar occur on UVI's
5: campus. Um, well, on UVI's campus last, last year for spring break, we had like alternative spring break. So it had like a couple groups. And like basically you go to the group that you're interested in. So you had a group called Regrow. So they basically were planting for the whole of spring break. So one, what they did by the end of spring break, by every um dorm, we have like a tea garden. So in the morning, if you want to get up and get tea, you could cut some leaves off the bush and you could go ahead and boil your mm-hmm. tea bush. And then you can have some tea. And on in the main garden, they have like, they started growing, like they have different fruits and stuff down there. And they were just widening, the, um, widening the crew they have to take care of the plants. So um, I believe I'm, I'm currently in the gardening club and I believe they are trying to, they are trying to do something about the food insecurity. Like they're trying to make it able, like make the um, fruits accessible for the students whenever they want. Yeah.
4: I mean, you know, that's, Awesome. And send us some pictures because we'd Mm -hmm. love to like see that progress and like share it with everyone and stuff. That just sounds amazing. I don't even think we have a garden here at South. So like there's definitely something to say really about like farm to table, especially Mm -hmm. if you do it at your university. That's just 10 times better. I do Mm want to ask one quick question here, and that is about social media and the prevalence of food insecurity on social media and how social media could be used to break the stigma or do you guys think it is perpetuating the stigma? I think it's oh, going
7: it. to be perpetrating more so. Um, mainly because on social media, uh, I think we all have a presence that we can portray. Mm-hmm. And we can give off what we want. So we get to pick and choose. So if we don't want people knowing that we have an issue in our lives, we don't mm-hmm. have to show that.
4: Yeah, it's like, what's that thing? Like social media, you only see... What like five percent of someone's real life, and the rest is behind the screen. I think it's weird. I think social media tries to do so many great things. We've talked about it on every episode of this podcast before, and you know, we all say social media is great. It can be utilized in a way to help break the stigma, show people access to things like HIV testing, mental health resources, open pantry locations, and resources available on our campuses. But it can also be used in a negative way when people don't display food insecurity in the right manner, if they don't ever bring it up, if Mm. they never post about it, if it's kind of just like they show every single student as having access to all of this food and money and is able to like go about their daily life without any issue. That, in my opinion, like kind of makes the stigma a little worse. And that's what I'm seeing currently. Okay.
7: Definitely. Because if people were more comfortable in talking about the issue in general, then Mm. I don't think you would really see um, I think you would see more uh, advancements in getting rid of food insecurity. Yeah.
6: Uh, one of the issues that you'll definitely face with social media is uh, McDonald's advertising budget is way more than my farmer's market advertising budget. Hmm. So you're going to be the target. I mean, you're the, tar- you're the ideal target market for fast processed, cheap food you're going to be bombarded with ads um, that are not related at all to your health. (laughs) But yeah. So, I mean, you got to watch out. Like, I mean, there are ways that you can use social media, but I mean, you are the ideal target market for processed food. That's going to make you sick.
4: Yeah. And oftentimes those you find to be like, the cheaper alternatives. And with all the demographic information that's collected about you on social media, nine times out of 10, those can be targeted advertisements that go yeah. to lower income individuals and families or yeah. processed fast food yeah. that is horrible for
6: you. You guys should hear me yelling uh, at McDonald's every time it comes on, I'm like, <laughs> like, I'm not your algorithm. <laughs> uh, but you know, you said something about food being cheaper. I just want to point out, if you haven't heard this before, you should be aware of why it's cheaper. Um, there are huge subsidies in uh, the U.S. agriculture industry that goes towards uh, corn, uh, soy, and wheat, mm. and uh, especially corn is one of like the main ingredients in a lot of processed foods. High fructose corn syrup, um, corn oils, uh, a lot of stuff is fried in, um, and so. It's important to know that there is a difference, guys, between the cost of a product and the price of a product. The cost of a meal and the price of the meal. The price of the meal could be $5, but your costs are hidden. You're going to pay for them, just not right at that moment. And you're going to pay for it in the environmental costs that are happening around the globe. Um, I I don't know if you guys have heard of... uh, dead zones that are happening it's because of agriculture it's because of fast cheap food or food that we think is cheap because the price is low Um, and in the islands the costs also include uh, the pollution to the ocean and these freights coming to and from Uh, you have the the cost of electricity at all these different factories uh, that are burning fossil fuels so the costs are actually way beyond what we can afford. It's just delaying the costs. It's kicking the bucket down the road that unfortunately we have to deal with. It's not even like the next generation has to deal with it. Actually, you have to deal with it right now in your food system. And I don't know if you saw uh, the latest UN climate report. It's not looking good.
4: Well, y'all, I think there's definitely been a lot of great points that were made throughout this episode. And I would just like to thank every single one of our listeners that has made it to this point. Here, unfortunately, is where things have to start wrapping up. All good things must come to an end, as they say. Mm -hmm. Now, I have one last question for both of you. If our listeners fell asleep, took a nap for the first half of this podcast, weren't paying attention, were doing their dishes, filing their taxes, who knows (laughs) what, sending Snapchats to all their friends, anything like that. And everything that we talked about went right out their mind what is the one last thing that you want them to remember? This is your moment to sign, So, like, take a minute to think about it? Either one of you can start us off.
6: One of the reasons why I got into agriculture after a four year degree in tourism, nothing related to agriculture, is because at the root of our insecurities and inequalities in life, it comes down to our food. And mm-hmm. so if any, if any uh, time there is for you to figure out how to not be food insecure, Uh, now is it, now is your time. Like, this is your window. You have X amount of years left of uh, this soil um, that's not gonna keep producing for us because of the way that things are going. Like, you have to figure this out now as an adult in this society in 2022, how to get access, not just to food, but to healthy food. So tap into the resources in your community, Uh, reach out for help, with your local farms ask them for some ideas uh, visit your farmers markets push for local food in your cafeterias it's only going to happen if you push for it so yeah
2: so i love that shelly has talked about the the global impact of bad farming techniques i love that she has you know talked about how important food is for your gut and your brain um, i think that's so important not just for college students but For everyone, everywhere. Um, Since I'm situated more on a college campus, I think what I would really like for students, not just our students, but students across the world, um, to know is that you can help your college campus with food insecurity. You know, one student started our Jag Pantry, one student has impacted so many lives, and although there's many others, you know, working her dream now, you can make a difference. And there can be um, great food available to you. You you can access. You can have access to nutritional, um, nutrient dense foods that will help you while you're in college, so that um, you can make the grades that you need, graduate, and go on to a healthy, productive life. So, it's not about what you put on your body; it's about what you put in your body. That's important.
4: Absolutely. I just wanted to say. Thank you guys so much again, Shelly and Ronnie, for taking the time out of your day to come and speak with us on this very, very important topic. I'm so glad that we were able to not only make some really huge points, but also able to have a little bit of fun while we were at it. We covered you know, the reasons as to why college students shouldn't have a ramen noodle only diet, <laughs> the horrible marketing techniques that big organizations like McDonald's can use to push those cheaper Foods and the real costs behind the food, not just the price. And, of course, you guys left us with those ever impactful statements. I just want to say, once again, thank you so, so, so much for coming out and talking with us. Thank you to our listeners who have made it this far and who have supported us through the very first season of this podcast. We hope to see you guys again soon. Thank you so much to my wonderful co-host, AJ, from the University of South Alabama, and our friends, Jamori and Debbie from the University of the Virgin Islands. It was a blast. We hope to see you guys again soon. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Real Issues, Real Talk. For students, by students. Sponsored by the Universities of South Alabama and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And supported by the Northeast Caribbean AIDS Education and Training Center. What you think about the health and wellness issues that affect university students really does matter. We invite you to tell us about the topics that you want to hear going forward in upcoming episodes. Reach out and let us know. And if you like us, talk about us. Talk about us a lot. You've got this and together we've got this. See you guys next time.